So, it's been a while, um, but I'm excited. We're hopping back into John 10. I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 42, and then I will pray, and then we will go from there. So, John 10, 19 through 42. Again, a division took place among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone demon possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then the festival of dedications took place in Jerusalem and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade. Then the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe. Jesus answered them, The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Let's pray. God, thank you. for being here, for, for Christ, thank you. Spirit, thank you for being here. Thank you, Father, for, for words, the word of God being spoken, the word of God being delivered. I thank you, God, that you speak to us and you speak to hearts here in the sanctuary this morning. I thank you, Father, that everybody is able to um, think about the word being spoken, the, the overarching theme and narrative that is Christ, that has been spoken since the beginning, that is being spoken now, that will be spoken and proclaimed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, just to get back into it, when we're talking about different books of the Bible, different books of the Bible were written for different reasons to different people in different styles. John, the, the Gospel of John, is, um, I've heard it talked about like it's, um, the author kind of gives us a bunch of Rembrandt paintings, which Rembrandt paintings also all have kind of like this dark background, and they always bring like a focal point, and the focal point is, is close up, and it's a lot of detail, and there's a lot of light. So, if you notice in John, there's not as many stories, but the stories are longer. And there's a lot of layers to this story, and there's a lot of themes to the story, and there's, there's a lot of things that you can glean from the story, and John is basically written to be read again and again and again, and the more you read it, the more you kind of pick up themes and pull them out. One of the main themes, and one of the main themes through us talking about and preaching through this um, in the time that it's taken us is the theme of Jesus gives us new sight, a new perspective. 
uh, a new way of seeing things that everybody he comes encountered with, he basically says, the way that you see life and the way you see everything around you is wrong. And I am here to give you new eyes and a new way to see life and everything. And this is in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That was Christ. Christ became flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus tells us that we're wrong. Jesus, his life was light. We talked about light being basically the one someone perceives life. The one, the way someone sees and perceives this whole thing and what it means to be alive and what it means to be human. And um, it, it subverts us. It undermines what we think it's all about. It undermines what we believe truth is. I was kind of meditating on this when I was running this, this past week. And whenever I run, I kind of get in trouble because all of a sudden I start getting these weird, like not weird thoughts, but just these thoughts rise up on the inside of me. And I just had the thought when we tried to, like thinking about crucifixion of Jesus, when we tried to name this man, when we tried to say that this is what it's all about, we always exclude a bunch of people and then we start exploiting people, we start enslaving people, we start killing people and that is just the that's just the tradition of man trying to own and put their stamp of this is what truth is and I hold truth and I own truth and this is what it is but God cannot be owned. Truth cannot be owned. You cannot nail down truth. If the ocean can fit inside of a spoon, it is not the ocean. If God can fit inside my consciousness, it is not God. So, the author... John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these chapters and stories that are supposed to be like you're supposed to dive into them and they're supposed to change you in the way that you see life. And it's supposed to be this thing that continues and you're continually supposed to kind of think that you have it all figured out, think that you have God figured out, think that you have Jesus all figured out. And then he's basically saying you might have a little bit. But there's a lot that you're kind of adding and a lot that the systems of the world are kind of adding. You might get the gist, but here you're wrong for the most part. So um, in the Gospel of John, another theme is John, the, the author, the spirit keeps asking us questions. And that question is, who is Jesus? And this is a decision that every single person needs to make for themselves. Not because mommy and daddy were Christian, not because this is the, the number one religion in my geographical area. Um, I need to make the decision and decide what I believe about Jesus and what did Jesus came, come to do? Make sure that we're a holistic human being, meaning we worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That he wants to make us holistic and develop every single part of our body. And every single part of who we are as a human being. 
because we were created in the image and the likeness of God. And, that, and he doesn't want to just develop our spirit. He doesn't want to just develop our emotions. He, wants, he doesn't want to just develop our body. He wants to develop us as a holistic human being and be able to love God. With, and the way that he, we do that is to love God with every single part of ourselves and then also love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So, in the, in, the, in the questioning of ourselves, who do we believe Jesus is? Do we believe Jesus is the Christ, meaning the image of the invisible God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? We have to ask, does every single part of me believe that? Or is it just kind of a mental assent? Do, do I just mentally kind of say, I believe that? Or does my body bear witness? Do my emotions bear witness? Am I an emotionally stable human being in a world of completely emotional, immature people? This world is full of people that are completely emotionally immature and they cannot handle their feelings and their emotions. Well, our emotions are real and we're not supposed to suppress them. And what the church and society has told you is you're not supposed to have grief. Boys don't cry. You're not supposed to grow up and be able to deal with harsh wounds and emotions. Now, Jesus brings us to a point where we can deal with our emotions healthy, in a healthy way, and be able to confront our wounds, our inner wounds on the inside of us, and deal with them. And there, ha there is grief in life, there is a time for mourning, and there is a time for joy. I believe what society, and sadly, what a lot of the church is telling us is, you only need to have joy, and you only need to rejoice, and you only ever need to be happy. But there is, in our Bible, that says, there is a time for mourning. And we need to learn how to work through difficult emotions, like being sad. Because what you have is when people don't know how to be sad, they can't really have real, pure joy. And if you can't learn how to be sad, you are going to basically have this wound on the inside of you. And you're just going to kind of put a bandage over it. In, my, in most of the bandages from our, our kind of the, the roots that this church has, the bandages that the roots of what we come from is um, put a smile on, rejoice, fake it till you make it, be happy. And then Jesus will take care of all of that junk inside of you. No, Jesus wants to take care of the junk and he will take care of the junk. But the process includes you. And you're going to have to go through that trial and that tribulation and the wounds that other human beings cause you. This is just, this is just real life. I mean, I mean, it's not doom and gloom. It's just real life. Yes, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have a full life. But at the same time, I have a friend that two weeks ago, on this day in the morning, at 2.30 in the morning, his daughter, that was four years old, died of an inoperable brain tumor. They go to a church in Smithville. I was a part of their Facebook group that got updates 
And there was people that would say, we're praying for you. God's going to come through with the miracle. But that's not what happened. There's a time for mourning. You don't have to explain it away. You don't have to explain why someone doesn't get anything or why that had to happen to a four-year-old girl. It's just life. And sometimes that happens. You don't lose your faith. You grow from it. John 10 is a continuation of John 9. John 9... um, John 9 uh, was this, this, stu- this story of Jesus healing a blind man from birth. And then the Pharisees get into this conversation with Jesus, as they always do. Well, the Jewish leaders get in this conversation with Jesus, just asking him, like, how, how could he have done this, heal this man, um, this blind man on the Sabbath day? Um, and, and you kind of see John is always kind of putting Jesus on trial. And that's why Jesus always like, the works that I have done bear witness. Oh, also, there's people like John the Baptist, and you've trusted his witness, and you've trusted his light. I don't, I don't like, kind of gain anything from that, but can't you just kind of trust him that he testified about me? Then also you see in John 9, the blind man testified about Jesus to the Pharisees. Then you see here in our text this morning about how the Pharisees are like, well, is he a demon possessed? Is he crazy? And then then you hear this voice of this other unnamed people say, no, Jesus isn't crazy. Can a crazy man that's demon possessed do these works? Heal Heal the eyes of the blind men? So John is always kind of the author, the Holy Spirit is always kind of using the book of John to put Jesus on trial. So we can ask these questions to ourselves. Who is Christ? Why did Christ come? Why did Christ become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, who was 100% God and 100% man, the visible image of the invisible God? Why did he come? Why did he come for me? Why did he come for you? Why did Christ come? Well, Christ was in the garden in the beginning. Well, in the, not in the garden, but in the beginning, Christ was, and he was the word that was spoken. Truth spoke, and that word that came out was Christ. The mindfulness, the conscious, conscious mindfulness of God spoke which was Christ, and then with the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit created. And then they created human beings. Human beings to be a reflection of Christ, a reflection of God. And we all start out in the garden. And this is one thing that I've had to come to terms with, that I have to stop blaming I have to stop blaming Adam and Eve for introducing death into the world. When I, if I was there in that story, I would have done the same thing. And the the death that has been introduced into the world is here because of me too, basically. We have to stop blaming 
some, no matter what, we, we fall no matter what. Like, I mean, we, we become separate and we choose autonomy from God no matter what. And it's not one person's fault, like way back when. It's every human being's fault. And this is just something you kind of have to come to grips with. And human beings are good at making excuses and pointing the finger at someone else. And they're to blame, not me. Well, I'm sorry. You are to blame. Every time that you decide that you know what? Truth. And I am going to nail it down and I'm going to, this is what it's all about. This is the meaning of life. Well, Jesus came to show us what the meaning of life was. He came to preach to us. Like I said, he came to t tell us that the point of life is to love God with all your um, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor, to, to uh, do what? To feed the poor, to visit those in prison, to all, do all of these things. Live a whole life. What will get you up in the morning? What, 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 what's your purest desire? Because God gives you your desires and there's a perfect reflection on the inside of each one of us that if we wake up to that desire, that is how we could perfectly reflect in, an attribute and an asset of Christ. What's going what's to fuel me and fuel me throughout my week? What's going to give me joy to get up in the morning? And what's going ma to make it? So no matter what day it's on, I am there and I am present. I'm not always like, like woohoo, chipper, spring in my step, but I am there and I'm in the moment and I'm present. What is going to be the thing that makes you present in life? So we have to see that Jesus is the personification of Christ. The, um, and Jesus is also being the personification of Christ is a continuation of a story that has been going on for thousands of years. It is the continuation of a very, well, the most Jewish story there is. The story of Abraham and the um, Jesus and, and God calling out this man from the Ur of Chaldea to come and break a covenant with him and make a covenant with him and saying, through you, through your people, through your seed, I'm going to bless you so much that I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Well, man, going off on their own, doesn't do good without God. What starts out at Mount Sinai as something that's supposed to be pure... When, when man decides to get, when man is left to their own devices, creates idols, right? What, what starts off as holy and pure in Jerusalem in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, God pouring out his whole spirit on all flesh. There's, it's just all flesh. God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. What starts out as this new family where everybody is included and now we live in community and love one another and take care of one another and, and we, we love our enemies and our enemies are no longer our enemies. They're our neighbors and we love them and take care of them all in the name of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and it's all about love. 
what starts out like that in, in the book of Acts, where you see in the book of Acts um, uh, 500 disciples turning into thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in this community of, of loving, growing, like, like a loving and growing healthy community where people are willing to literally die because they have found everything that they have ever wanted. The person of Stephen is willing to die because he has found something more precious than gold. The, the person of Paul is willing to completely change his life around because he, he, he was at the highest. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the upper echelon of the Jewish people. And he says, I count that all as loss just to know Christ. To know Christ. To know Christ. God's mindful, his mindful consciousness towards creation is Christ. The thing that holds everything together. Colossians 1.15. The, the thing that, that everything finds its meaning in Christ. And just to know Christ. The hope of glory. What starts out like this within a couple hundred years or less than that not even not even a hundred years they get another they get another letter or there's more letters written to the churches in the near eastern region saying you have forgotten your first love in the book of revelations those letters written to them you have forgotten your first love Man left to his own devices, man proclaiming, I know God, man seduced by the doctrines of men, by the traditions of this world, and not after Christ, brings in exploitation, brings in killing people, brings in exclusion. So Christ comes into our lives and challenges the systems we put in place. And I keep asking, and I, just a personal testimony for me in my life recently, um, and really, I, I go through this often, and I encourage anybody to go through this as well. It's, it's challenging, but it's, it's interesting. I keep asking God simply for truth. To bring me back, to recenter me on Christ, to recenter me on Jesus. And then something funny happens. In the weeks to come, I feel myself being stripped away. And I find out something about myself. I realize that I have placed systems on the inside of myself and I have let others put things on the inside of me that are just not Jesus and not God. And I feel empty. And then I realize this is what I prayed for. And my, my prayer for being recentered on the truth and my prayer for God to bring me to the truth echoes in the silence. It's like he's speaking that back to me. We have to understand that Jesus, when he went to the cross... It wasn't, it wasn't as much as, uh, it wasn't, we have too big of a picture of a father destroying his son and, and not Jesus, God. Jesus, who was God, emptying himself for humanity, being poured out for humanity. God on the cross reconciling, bringing reconciliation. 
That's what Jesus came to do. He came to face death head on. He came to conquer death, hell, and the grave, which is is funny. Translated is basically just the grave, the grave, the grave, because death, hell, and the grave are the same thing. That's just something Bible nerdy. Sorry. But, But Jesus came to destroy and conquer death. And that's what he came to do. He was emptied out. God was emptied out for us, for you. So the picture of the Trinity is this beautiful thing, these beautiful, this beautiful image of, of all three parts of God continuously being emptied out into one another and filled by the other. So every once in a while, it'd be good if we kind of just emptied ourselves from all the junk that we put inside. And I'm not necessarily talking, I mean, I, I'm talking about every part of the world systems that we've put inside. Our, our religion and our doctrine that are just not supposed to be there. And then also all of the junk from the world, reality TV, um, the news and everything that we put in from social media all the way to whatever po- popular cable program you watch. All of that junk needs to be emptied out and, it, and it's all about coming before God in Romans 12 1 presenting yourself as a holy and a living sacrifice well what do I do to do that you just come as you are not trying to bring anything not trying to do anything not trying to accomplish anything just saying God come on let's do this thing let's live life recenter me I don't want to just wake up in a couple years and think, well, where, what happened during all that time? And we all have time like that, right, in our lives. Maybe not years, but we kind of just wake up every so often. Maybe a couple months have passed and we realize, what have I been doing for the last couple months? It's like you're, it's like kind of when you're driving home from work or you're driving home from church and then you walk into your door and you're like, did I just drive home? <laughs> like, like, I can't even think. I was just on autopilot. Yeah. Idle hands build nothing that you can call your own. Yeah. If you're not conscious... Well, let's think about this. We always like to talk about ourselves, right? We like to make confessions about ourselves. What's the thing that's making the confession about you? Because you're talking about like this, this being, right? Well, think about what's the thing that's thinking about me? It's just like, like this outside weird perspective because like, cause we get so caught up in just this jumbled mess of a human being and we think like to be human is just to kind of go with the flow, be on autopilot, but sometimes we need to turn that autopilot off and think mindfully about who we are. Well, I do have a body and I can listen to its urges and surges. And when I, when I am walking my son on our, our walks and maybe it's it's like the second or the third walk we've taken today because he just loves going in the stroller. 
And maybe I'm walking to the bank and maybe I just get a little angry and then I realize, why am I angry? Body, why are you telling me I'm angry? Oh, maybe it's the fact that I've, this is the second walk that I've been on and I'm hungry. And my body is telling me I'm hungry. But instead, maybe we just, and, 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 if, and when you're not on that and you're just kind of on autopilot, who knows what you're going to do or blame it on or who you're going to bat, who you're going to take it out on. You know what I mean? So that is, the, so what is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Christ to you? Why does he come? This is something you need to think about. And this is some, something you need to make the decision about because I, I'm not, I'm not coming down on people that, that just say they're Christian uh, or, well, I'm not coming down on Christians as a whole. I'm just saying Christians need to think about if they really believe what they say that they believe. Because if you look at our actions, if you look at, if you look at our actions, if you look at the way we think, if you look at the way we live our lives, just in this country alone, if someone were to observe this country, they would just say, well, this country is just a country that has a bunch of people who likes to buy stuff. That's all they do, buy stuff. They go out to eat and buy stuff. They go to the store, they go to the mall, they buy stuff. And then when, they're, when, they're, when all that stuff, all that new stuff isn't new, what do they do? They go buy stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not talking about specific people. If I am talking about specific people, maybe that speaks to you and you have ears to hear. But at the same time, if someone to look at America as like just the people, I'm not talking about the politics and everything, but just society in America. We're just a bunch of people that likes to buy stuff. The, the majority. There are outliers. I like it when people say, well, what about this person? Or what about this situation? Or what about that situation? There's such thing as an outlier. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> like, it's, you can't broad brush everything in life. And that's something that we like to do in the modern, in, in our way of thinking. So... Um, now we, we kind of continue and transition into this into this text. Now John ten asks us, "Is Jesus the Christ? Is he is, is he the good shepherd?" We looked at that where the good shepherd uh, a shepherd is in the Old Testament a picture of a king. So um, God said through the prophet that I I kind of he kind of rebuked all of the shepherds. They didn't do what they were supposed to. They didn't clothe the naked. They didn't. Um, take care of the needy. They didn't take care of the sick. They didn't bandage the injured. And God is speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament. I'm mad at these shepherds, these kings that I've put in place. And he says, I will be their shepherd. He, he transitions from, I'm mad at you shepherds to one day I'm going to come and be the shepherd. Fast forward. Here we are. John 10. Here we are on the Feast of Dedications, the Pharisees asking, are you the Messiah? And Jesus keeps on saying, I'm the good shepherd. Like, do you guys, you guys are so blinded that you can't see what's right in front of you. And you can't see the works that I'm doing right before you. That the prophets say that there's going to be one that comes and opens blind eyes. 
and you can't see it. And these were, the, these were the, the people that were supposed to be the people that are leading the children of Israel in all of, the, of their tradition. So it makes me wonder if these men that are so steeped in their religion and understand and know so much, know so much about their religion, they don't really know, but they know so much, and they're missing the Messiah. How often do we miss the Messiah? Do we miss Christ here? We, we find ourselves there here on the Feast of Dedications. Well, I was talking to my mom yesterday about how the Feast of Dedications is actually Hanukkah. Because if you, if you look in the history, it was, that's what it's called. The Feast of Dedications is Hanukkah. And my mom said, Hanukkah is not in the Bible. Well, yes, Hanukkah is not one of the feasts in the Old Testament that God told them to kind of observe. But where we get the Feast of Dedications and the Feast of Hanukkah, is um, about 300 years or so prior to Jesus walking in right here, there's a dude that came to power named Alexander the Great. And he takes over basically all of the Near Eastern region. This is, which includes Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, and everything, all of that stuff. And he introduces Hellenism into Israel. Hellenism into, um, into uh, Israel, into uh, Judea and Jerusalem and all of those areas. So the Israelites are introduced into Hellenism, which is basically the Greek way of life. They have to change their language because there are foreigners in their land. And the foreigners in their land outnumber them. So they change their way, their, their first language to the language of Greek. They actually, this is where we get the mo one of the first um, collections of Old Testament books is the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that's one of the first um, versions of the Old Testament is a Greek Old Testament. So, so slowly, the Greek way of life is coming in and kind of stripping away from the Israelites what makes, what makes them Israelites. They, they introduce these things called gymnasiums where we get the modern day Olympics and, and men get together and they wrestle nude. And just, that's just the way that they did and celebrated the image of being human. And then Jews were introduced into this system and they said, I want to go in the gymnasium and wrestle too, so I can have power. And they underwent a surgery that was painful that tried to make it look like they weren't circumcised. They were being stripped of who they were. Their tradition stripped and taken away. And they couldn't see it before them. Well, they saw it when this one, when Alexander the Great passed away, and this guy named Antiochus took over this region. His name, Antiochus, actually renamed one of the, the, the popular region of Syria and what is modern-day Turkey to Antioch. That's where we get Antioch. Antiochus came in, and he decided, I'm not going to, like, because Alexander the Great was like, you guys are going to have this new Greek way of life, but you can kind of keep the system. You can keep your synagogues and keep worshiping your God. And 
doing your sacrifices to God, that's cool, but I'm going to basically change all of your life other than that. You can have that little portion. So what happened was Antiochus came in and said, well, guess what? I'm not as nice as Alexander the Great, and in fact, I'm going to make you um, sacrifice unkosher meat to pagan gods in your um, temples and in your synagogues. So Antiochus sends a dude, sends a guy to a man named Mattathias Maccabee. And Mattathias Maccabee was not having it. He gets, he gets consumed with zeal, this, this anger, that this thing, this passion that bubbles up on the inside of him. He overturns this official that is trying to make him sacrifice unkosher meat to a pagan god, and he kills him. He takes his whole crew of people, fly, flies out into the wilderness, and, and the Maccabees, they, they go out and they kind of um, start this new group of uh, Jewish people out in the wilderness that hide in caves and follow the tradition. And actually, from this, they, they, had, a, uh, they had some of the regular... Um, they had some of the, Israel, the Hebrew translations of the Old Testament, and they recently found those within the last 50 or so years, the, the Maccabean transcripts of the Old Testament, which is just whatever, five-cent knowledge that you just get. So, um, so they are out in the caves. They are conducting uh, guerrilla warfare against Antiochus to try to overthrow him. Long story short, Mattathias passes away, but his son Judas Maccabee kind of raised raises up, and he is the one who is ultimately able to overthrow Antiochus and introduces a new regime, a new line of Jewish kings in, in the area. They rededicate the temple, Solomon's temple, to God, and we get the, the festival of dedications, and Judas Maccabee says this needs to be celebrated for eight days, and then they kind of added a story about olive oil burning for eight days when it was only supposed to burn for one, but that's a made-up story. Well, most people say it's a made-up story. It's no, not recorded anywhere. Most of what I just talked about was recorded by people like Josephus. So, um, which was an ancient historian. So, all of that said is he introduced a new line of Jewish kings, the Maccabees. And um, that lasted, they introduced Hanukkah. So with Hanukkah, the festival of dedications, everybody on everybody's mind when they celebrate this eight-day period is how they got the temple back, but also how kings, kings got into power. And Jesus is before them on Hanukkah, on the festival of dedications, the king of kings, the Christ, and they're asking him, are you the Messiah? So this is just bearing significance. But the funny thing is, is it only took about a hundred years for Rome to come in and kind of take over the Near Eastern area and kind of do exactly what Alexander the Great did 
but even more so. They, he kind of controlled the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they, the Sadducees were kind of like the people that were political, but they were also Jewish, and they and they were they were very much in the system of the world. The Pharisees were these people that are just trying to control the temple and all the systems that they're implementing into the temple to kind of exploit one another and fill their pockets because of the whole te temple system is kind of just weird. And that's why Jesus came and cleansed the temple and flipped the tables because they turned what was supposed to be a house of prayer for all men, all nations, not just Jewish people, but for all people, a place where God meets men. It turns into this very, this thing, this system that just exploits people and takes their money and then and shuns people and excommunicates people and excludes people. So, this thing that the, the, the Maccabean War only la the, 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 the peace, in quotations, only lasts for about 100 years. Rome comes in, reinstates or instates a new king of the Jews, King Herod, who is basically a prideful man in the, in the New Testament who um, hears that there is going to be a Messiah, so he puts on, out a... Um, a thing that says, oh, I'm going to kill all of the newborn male people of all the new male-born Jews, basically. So that's King Herod. He kind of is like this prideful guy who's not really a king. Um, to save face, he does actually marry one of the descendants of um, the Maccabee or Judas Maccabee. This is just simply to save face. So um, Jesus, the incarnate Christ, the king, and the, re, uh, the religious leaders with recent, recent victory of the Maccabean War, this, this idea of kings is, is on their mind. I have to pull up my uh, notes because my other thing, my thing, my tablet just went kaput. It's all good. I have a phone. I got technology to back up my technology. So um, in Jesus, he is the Messiah and he's standing before them. And you can kind of sense in these men and in the stories of, of, of the New Testament and of the stories, these, these men serve as like an archetype, but also these men are just like these jaded men that have been, their whole system has been stripped of meaning and they kind of, their tradition that is supposed to mean so much to them that they're supposed to have this remembrance of who God is and this remembrance of God being all-sufficient, all-powerful, and in the, the very source of life has stripped, in society has come and stripped this, these men from the true meaning of everything. Um, their system has been hijacked by the systems of men. They have a king who is corrupt. They have systems that, that take advantage of, uh, takes advantage of and exploits their own kind. They live and speak different languages, and they are strangers in their own land. They are blinded. And Jesus is before them, and he can heal their vision, but they aren't hearing him. 
But there's a promise for those who do hear his voice. And that promise is that no one can snatch, snatch you out of Jesus' hand, and no one can snatch you out of God's hand, and he actually equates us to sheep. And that's not a compliment, because sheep are very stupid creatures, and they just follow blindly. And we need someone, and we need something, and we need a Christ that speaks to us and leads us and guides us. That comes to us when we're lost. That comes to us when, as sheep did, and as sheep do, get caught in bramble bushes and different... I just made bramble bushes up and and all sorts of bushes and different things. And, And when a sheep is headed for a cliff, we need a Christ that comes to us and speaks to us and we can follow his voice. We need to trust that we can hear his voice. And we need to trust that men, men, while they can't, men and women, while they can point us and, and, and point us in the right direction to hear the voice of God, are not the, not the owners of that voice, if that makes sense. That, that, that men... That men who speak are, you're not supposed to follow men. You're supposed to follow the voice of God. This, this comes back into understanding that we're not just creatures that live by our instincts, but we're people that are mindful of who we are and are able to think critically about the words coming out of men and women's mouths. I hope you think critically about the words that come out of my mouth. I hope you think critically about all of the teachers that you put in your life. I hope you think critically about the words that come out of men and women's mouths. Because they are not the voice. They can point you to the voice. They are not the Christ. They can point you to the Christ. Amen? Jesus, when he lived here, he, he, he kept on saying, I don't speak what I want to speak. I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear the Father doing. Now, hopefully, as ministers and teachers, ministers take in that consideration and try to do and follow suit and follow the example of Jesus. But I guarantee you, no one can do it perfect. It's impossible. But there's a, man, there's a story of a man who was able to do it, who was God in flesh. So the only person who was able to do it was God. And that's the story. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. That's the story of Christ. Don't trust any voice but the voice of Christ. And trust and look at your life. Look at your life. Recognize some things. Recognize that there is someone who is opposed to God. There is someone who is opposed to God, and it is the devil. And the devil in his playground is in what? The principalities and the powers. What does that mean? The principalities and the powers of the air. What does that mean? That's not, that's not just talking about some wooey-ooey thing, some weird thing in the sky. <laughs> it's not just talking about some weird, just talking about something in the sky. It's talking about positions 
that men create in systems that men and women create in seats where men and women sit above other human beings. That is Satan's playground. That is the devil's playground. And he is at work within those systems. So, do we live in a place? Sometimes it might seem like we live in a place that has been stripped, that, that, that basically what started out as a Christian tradition where we believe in Jesus and we believe and we love Jesus Christ and we love our neighbor and we want to do the things of Christ, sometimes it seems that society comes and, princip- and, 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 and the devil and the systems of the world come and they kind of strip us and what our whole life is supposed to mean and kind of gives us other things. And like the Jews, in the time of the Roman Empire, in Hellenism, in the Greek way of life, society is saying, the empire is saying, you can have your temples, you can have your synagogues, you can worship there, and we'll even kind of line your pockets a little bit to make it a little bit more comfortable for you to stay in your buildings. (laughs) 